Hello, a very warm welcome to our listeners to Celebrate Ed. Celebrate Ed is brought to you by Shiksha Lokum, an education leadership mission. In the podcast, we unbundle and decode what, why, and how of education leadership. Every month, we will bring you stories from the ground, speak with experts and practitioners in order to spark ideas and together build an understanding of how we can leverage the education leadership to its best. I'm your host, Lav Kumar, Communications Lead at Chikshalukum. I'm glad to welcome you to today's episode. When we were at school, the interactions we have had with our teachers played a huge role in our learning and growth. Some teachers were our favorites. We looked forward to their classes. We enjoyed chatting with them during the breaks and jumped at the opportunities when they gave us some responsibilities. The school experience was not just limited to classrooms and teachers. It was also about our friends, the extracurricular activities like competitions, school trips, being part of the school council, rides through and from school. Were our teachers only responsible for this? Did they manage our learning all by themselves? No. There is a whole army of people who work to ensure that learning is smooth and effective for the children. Today, we're here to talk about that army and how they impact student learning outcomes. This army is none other than the principals or our school leaders. Our guest for today is someone who has spent many, many years studying the impact of this school leadership on student learning outcomes. She's here with us today to unbundle the concepts of education leadership and help us understand that why focusing on education leadership is the need of the art. Our guest for today is Dr. Sujata Rao, who has been an academician and practitioner in the space for many years. She anchors a specialization stream on school organization leadership and management within the MA education program at the prestigious Azim Premji University. She teaches courses on school leadership, management, organizational theory, and education policy. She has an ongoing tirade with education, which began many years ago. Sujada has worked as a consultant as well as an academic institutions in both India and overseas. For a number of years, she worked closely with the New South Wales Department of Education and Training, and she has also been a faculty at University of Western Sydney and University of Sydney. Dr. Sujata Rao is the founder of Chabi, an organization focused on providing learning support and scaffolded learning pathways. She's also the founder director of Virudha Social Impact Solutions, which works with education organizations on matter relating to organization design, program strategy, and effectiveness. Welcome, Sujata, to another episode of Celebrate Ed. Delighted to have the opportunity to speak with you today and learn more about education leadership from your experiences and work. Thank you, love. It's um, a real pleasure to be here, and I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Let us jump right in. Uh, start of my first question to you. You spent more than a decade in the field as a practitioner, academician, researcher. Tell us, how did you enter this field of research? Um, so education itself, love, it was um, sort of uh, almost more than 20 years, right? I got into education uh, because I was particularly interested in looking at um, equality and equity of opportunities for um, indigenous populations, right? And I was trying to really look at marginalized communities and um, um, how, you know, why are their life chances so different from, you know, other mainstream populations. But um, 
educational leadership itself happened a little bit more um, serendipitously, right? It was, I think, sometime around 2007, 2008 that um, there was a report by um, uh, McKenzie. Uh, it was called How the World's Best Performing School Systems Come Out on Top, right? And that was a report that had come out sometime 2007, 2008. And uh, a couple of things that really struck me from that report was one, that differences in learning outcomes for students inside the same school um, was as varied as differences between schools, right? So, which really means that intra-school, within a school, you could have all children who start off at the same, you know, in the same grade, let's say in three different sections, but the learning experience of the children are not identical, right? And there could be cohorts that have exceptional educational experiences and others who don't have that, right? In fact, there was a graph in that report that I still uh, sort of remember quite clearly because it took me by surprise at that time, which is that if you, if you start, um, you know, two children in the 50th percentile, right? That one student, has um, the experience of a high performing teacher and another student has the experience of a low performing teacher in his or her class if they if you get them at age seven or eight right so they are starting say grade one by the time they reach grade five right which is the end of primary school there is a 53 54 percentile difference between these two kids so they are average kids, right, starting off at 50th percentile. In a space of sort of three years, eight, nine, 10, 11, in the age of sort of in, in the span of three to four years, one child can move to the 90th percentile with a high-performing, highly trained teacher, highly motivated teacher. The other child has gone down to about 36th, 37th percentile, right? And this is in the same school. And... Um, I think a lot of conversation um, in the late 2000s and even in the early 2010s was how can good, you know, bad schools become good, right? As if there is a, you know, this blanket bad school and good school, but there is really no such thing, right? There are pockets of good and bad in every school in terms of teaching and learning experience, right? And this uh, lack of uniformity of high-performing teachers in a school that every class, it's, it's not lottery, right? Every class you get into, your teaching experience and your teachers have to be good. You know, it's not luck of the draw, right? That I got into section A, my teacher is fantastic. Section B, oh my God, I'm doomed, right? That's what got me really sort of interested in what are these differences that support the ability of all teachers to perform at the level that is important and necessary for children to flourish. And that's how I got into the area of school leadership. And it was at the same time, uh, around 2009-10, that Azim Premji University had started his master's in education program. And we decided to set up 
um, uh, a school leadership, school organization leadership and management specialization within Azim Premji University. And sort of I began my journey around understanding educational leadership much more. But the starting point was really this um, almost unbelievable study that said that in the same school with the same infrastructure, um, and with sort of teachers coming in through the same teaching pipeline, you could have such contrasting student experiences, right? And um, what makes that difference? And to a very large extent, it is educational leadership, right? So if school leaders can understand that, then we can do something about it. So that's how I got pretty much involved in this, um, in the area. I've understood and seen this closely, what you're sharing, Shijata. I've been a teacher myself at the Teach for India Fellowship Program. And in the beginning, it was really, really tough. I saw the difference in learning outcomes in my class as compared to, say, a second-year fellows class or a third-year fellows class. However, can you tell me and our listeners more about how school leadership impacts the student learning outcomes? The research has been focused on the same. Tell us, what have you found in all these years? So there's a lot of... Uh, there are a lot of studies and research and report that's been coming on, uh, coming out periodically since the mid 2000s, right? And even earlier than that, but significantly from around 2004, 2005, etc. But ultimately, school leadership is the ability of uh, leadership, that is the act of making decisions in the school, equitable and flourishing for all, right? So whether it's a student, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a parent, whether it's a, you know, a child with differences, the schooling experience has to be one that is positive, powerful and useful for all of them, right? And a lot of the influence of teachers on children on, uh, in classrooms and outside of classrooms is mediated by the environment in which they operate, right? Um, I mean, we have a lot of studies that show how poorly teachers are treated in schools, right? Teachers become these, what you call warm bodies, right? They have no soul. They are, uh, you know, given uh, such minimal autonomy with which to work. I mean, I remember visiting the school once where um, the school principal actually very proudly told me that he had removed all of the desk and chairs for teachers from the classroom. He said the teacher should only be standing in the classroom. The environment in which the teacher operates plays a tremendously important role in how the teacher feels, right, about herself, himself, about teaching. The kind of learning support that a teacher gets in terms of capacity building, right, the kind of support that a teacher gets while he or she is interacting with parents, while he or she is interacting with, you know, other stakeholders. So the environment is what leaders create, right? All of the scaffolding environment. And school leadership begins to be very clear and very evident in its absence, right? So when leadership is there, it sort of is so amorphous that you don't realize it. You just think of it as a well-functioning school. You see teachers are happy, students are happy, everything is working well, and you assume that it's a disciplined school. 
but you really see school leadership or the absence of school leadership when you go to a dysfunctional school, right? And you see teachers are demotivated, children are not learning, parents are unsatisfied, there's tension, there's turnover, a lot of teachers come, a lot of teachers go, there's anxiety, you know, so, so you can actually make up. So this research today that's very uh, consistent, it says that when um, a school has clarity of purpose, everybody understands why they are doing what they are doing, there is clarity on how they work, what is it that they need to do, right, in terms of teaching, resources, etc. And when there is a willingness to work together as a community, uh, those schools work well. And all of this requires leadership, right, without leadership, none of this, this happens. So, um, the current understanding of leadership in schools is that it is foundational in some sense to supporting teachers teach um, in an empowered manner and students learn in an empowered manner, right? So there is, a, there is this dialogue conversation of empowerment uh, in leadership, in, uh, you know, that schools um, can, can actually feel with, with really good um, school leadership. I would like to reiterate what you just shared, Sujata, that uh, school leadership is amorphous and it is realized only in its absence. I'm taken back again to my own experiences. I've worked at a couple of organizations and I've been able to achieve results, drive outcomes, including the school where I was teaching. When I had an enabling leadership and that has held true for irrespective of the roles I have held and the nature of the business of the organization. I'm able to see how the leadership is able to influence the school environment and the classroom environment in which teachers operate. And as long as they have a vision, a sense of purpose, clarity on their roles, they're able to create an effective student learning environment leading to positive outcomes for them. Yeah, so certainly the environment is one, right? Both the whole school environment as well as the classroom environment. Uh, other things that go with leadership is uh, the extent of teaching and learning support that is provided to um, all stakeholders in the school, the strength of relationships that are built with parent groups, community groups, teacher groups, right? So it's uh, environment, it is resources and capacity building, it is strength of relationships. It's also the extent to which the culture and belief system that all children can learn, that all teachers can teach, and that I expect teachers and students to flourish, right? So the, a, a, a good school um, leader or leadership in the school really believes in the motto that everybody can learn and everybody can teach well, right? So, and these expectations are very strong. So there is a certain set of, uh, of that. Um, and finally, the amount of empowerment, autonomy, and agency provided, right? And that cannot happen until uh, the leadership in school supports teachers, right? Wow. The school leadership has clearly so much to do then. And I see why their capacity development needs to be prioritized. They're responsible for the environment they build in their schools, the learning opportunities they have to create for the teachers, the mindsets and beliefs they need to build and have to be able to learn themselves and enable others. It's a long journey and I also saw how it got even more difficult uh, early last year when the pandemic hit us. So Jata, this leads me to the next question. Uh, the pandemic was indeed a roller coaster for the ecosystem. 
everyone, students, teachers, the leaders we are talking about today, parents, everyone was scrambling really hard to ensure that learning continues. Classrooms moved online, students and teachers were juggling between synchronous and asynchronous learning. Schools reopening is still a talk of the town. And now with technology becoming infused in every student's and teacher's life, what is your take on role of educational leaders in the current reality of a post-COVID world? Yeah, that's a really um, interesting uh, question, love, because um, it, I think it's it's very difficult to sort of compare um, responses in India with sort of responses, let's say, in, in a more developed country like, say, Singapore or the UK or the United States or Finland and places like that, right? Um, <clears throat> I think there's been a huge struggle because so many kid, kids who are out of school um, have become permanently out of school, right? They will never return back, right? But given the conditions that we've had of migrants, migrant kids moving from one place to the other, uh, just children who were in class nine, like class 10, right? When the pandemic started and they've not had access to it, very difficult for them to come back. Um, and I think leadership responses have also been very different, right? On, on the one hand, you've had um, schools that have sort of done really out of the box thinking, right? So they've looked at blended ideas, blended models. They've done some live classes. They put it up on YouTube. They've done, uh, you know, sent it out in WhatsApp messages, you know, teachers teaching and creating little lecture classes and sending it and getting homework. There's all sorts of responses, right, to it. And it is really compounded in our country because of digital inequity, right? I mean, I think the Asser report just came out maybe you know a few days back, um, which talked about the digital divide, right, that the country faces, and it is a real challenge in our country to be able to do blended learning when a lot of the population struggle with even fundamental digital access. One of the key areas that educational leaders, I think, have really woken up to and uh, systems the, uh, as, as, as a sort of education system that we've now started thinking about really well, or in a sense, starting to move towards, is how do you define equity of access? This means teachers, but it also means parents and children, right? So when... Um, Schools say we want to get into blended models, right? Maybe some face-to-face -face and some virtual, or we'll do only virtual. Teachers have to have access to equipment to teach, right? Not all schools start providing access of equipment to teachers, right? Teachers are expected to manage with their own phones or laptops or computers or whatever, right? Teachers are expected to manage with the bandwidth and the internet and the networks that they have in their own homes. And many of them don't have the ecosystem to, you know, work like that. Similarly, for parents, there are parents who did not have the luxury of staying at home, right? They had to go to work and they took their equipment with them, right? Phone or, or computer or whatever. So what it has really thrown up is equity of access. How does leadership respond to equity of access? And I think the way that some schools have done it have been quite different from others. 
uh, they've started asking what is the fundamentals that we are interested in a child learning, right? It's not the entire curriculum. It's not possible to do six hours of teaching like this. Can we rework it? Can we create more self learners, right? So some information goes out in WhatsApp. The child is asked to read something. The child is asked to prepare something. Shorter sessions online, right? So the child comes in maybe for half an hour. There's conversation about what you did. Then the student goes back, right? So they've started saying it's not possible for every child and every teacher to be online for five hours, six hours, eight hours. It's inequitable. It cannot work. What are the other models that we can build around it? And I think that model, that hybrid self-learning, peer learning with teachers coming in and becoming facilitators, that cannot happen unless school leaders create that kind of options for teachers, right? Because if a school leader says, let's take the daily, weekly timetable, and instead of doing it face-to-face, -face, I'm now going to do it virtually, which is what a lot of schools have done. It just destroys, um, teachers can't teach, children are fatigued, parents are agitated, irritated, crazy. So I think the, the, the good leadership response has been coming back to fundamentals. What is the bare minimum that we need to do virtually? And what can we support, what support ecosystem can we create so that students, parents, and teachers can also do a lot of learning offline by themselves and so on. And I think that's that's a much more interesting model than saying, let's you know start doing everything online. We're again going back to the basics then. How can leadership enable teachers to be their best? And what you have shared earlier, that school leaders need to continue to create opportunities and models which ensure empowerment, autonomy and agency for teachers, more so in the rapidly changing ecosystem. With this, time for a small break. What I'm hearing is that student learning outcomes are directly proportional to leadership outcomes. And leadership is what will drive the ecosystem towards success in shocks such as the pandemic and whatever challenges will be up against in the future. But despite all of this, and my next question, despite the clear evidence that uh, the education leadership is not as prioritized as other players, why there are few interventions for the leadership as compared to say, teachers or students? Yeah, interesting question again, love. Um, and I think this is much more typical of developing countries than it is of developed countries, right? Where school leadership is very clearly seen as an extremely important area to focus on. Um, so I think in, in India, let's just stick to India for the moment. I think in India, um, in the larger public school systems, um, which is our government school system, the assumption has been that uh, you are a teacher and over time, as you gain experience as a teacher, you will be promoted, right? And you will move on to becoming a head teacher or a school principal and so on and so forth. Um, and for a long time, that was thought to be sufficient. I mean, if you're a good teacher, you should be able to you know, manage a school. 
But in reality, the managing and leading of a school requires a different skill set. It requires different competencies. It, is, it requires a different body of knowledge that's not necessarily pedagogic knowledge alone, right? Or knowledge of a specific subject, right? I might be an exceptional physics teacher, but I need not be an exceptional school manager, right? Or a school leader, because they're not, they're not the same. Um, so partly in the public school system, I think for a very long time, this role itself has not been very clearly articulated, right? Except for the last sort of say, you know, 10, 12 years now, you can see that there is a far more realization of the importance of um, you know, principal leadership and school principals and how does it work. So there is some effort coming there and that's very welcome, right? That's one. The second thing is that in other countries, the role of a school principal is a, a specifically articulated role that requires certain qualifications, certain experiences, et cetera, right? In our country, we still don't have that, right? I mean, um, you don't have you don't have specific school principal qualifications that you can do and then become a school principal, right? So again, strengthening that, I think would be important to, to uh, get uh, more focus on school leadership itself. Um, if you look at the sort of the CBSE, Kendriya Vidyalaya school systems, they are uh, the role of a school principal in those systems, ICSE schools, CBSE schools, right? KB schools is much more clearly articulated, right? I mean, you go to a KV school, you know you have a school principal. The school principal has a certain um, capacity building, skills, et cetera, right? Now it needs to translate into the broader ecosystem. So I think that's one set of problems. We've not articulated that role clearly, and we've not provided specific programs that are tuned for school principals, right? Or school leaders. But I think the second, uh, equally important um, reason why we are still struggling with it is that there is a notion that school leadership is held by one person. Um, it's the Superman fallacy, right? That one person will come and reform the school, lead the school, manage the school. And overwhelmingly, we know that that model is a total failure, right? There is no possibility of one person leading, right? What you therefore need is a, is a distributed school leadership ethos, right? More and more teachers taking on the responsibility of leading and managing various aspects of the school. That requires teacher capacity to be built, right? That requires teacher competencies to be built. That also requires teacher training and teacher training programs to be looked at very differently. So, you know, in our country, we've struggled with teacher training programs for a long time as well, right? They've also undergone a lot of change and we've had a lot of issues with poorly qualified teachers and not enough experience and so on. So I think if we look at both these pillars, right? One is a lack of recognition of the importance of the role of the school principal and school leader and very flimsy training associated with that. And the second is the you know, lack of recognition that leadership is distributed. It's not held by one person. So therefore teachers also have to be supported in becoming leaders. We don't have that either. So both of these are stumbling blocks. And I think the, the general perception is teachers teach, right? So the student learning is impacted by a good teacher. 
we forget that a good teacher is impacted by a good leader, right? So if you if you show me a good school, necessarily you will see that there is a good good school leader there. If you show me average schools, you will have one or two good or maybe exceptional teachers, but they are outliers, right? The, the entire school doesn't have uh, teachers who teach at that level. So I'm going back to the first McKinsey report deviation, right? If you have two kids starting at the same level, at the end of their learning experience, they should be almost on par, right? If it's a good school, why is there such a difference? It's because intra-school differences are too wide. Um, so without good school leadership, it's impossible for good teachers to, um, to flourish. Thanks for pointing that out, Sujata. As a storyteller whose job is to advocate for education leadership, these are very good insights. The challenge of lack of leadership development opportunities for education leaders has become even clearer to me today. The problem is twofold. One, there is lack of understanding of the roles and skill mindset needs for the school leaders. And second, that there is a need for distributed leadership in the system rather than it be concentrated with one single person. So Jata, with these issues identified and many organizations already working to address them along with the plenty of research that is available, I would also like to ask you your thoughts on what lies ahead in this space. How can the mix of Sarkar, Bazaar, Samaj be leveraged uh, for the development of education leadership? Um, so this is a, this is, it requires systemic change right love it's not a one person uh, or one institute that can that can change this um and you've rightly indicated um, that you need multiple actors right samaj sarkar bazaar all actors to come together to to try and um, reform this otherwise it's always going to be um, a challenge and for any system change um you need multiple layers of intervention or change to happen, right? Um, just one layer alone doesn't work, right? So one, I think one very, very important um, area or opportunities that, you know, is there for people to work on is um, working on the belief system that school leadership is not important, right? Um, unless that that recognition comes that school leaders, um, you know, the research says is the second most important factor influencing student learning. But irrespective of whether it is second or third or first, it is tremendously important, right? And if, so if you're building a stool and the stool has three legs and one leg is totally, you know, loose and dealer, you know that that stool is going to fall no matter how strong one leg is, right? So if you are saying that one of the legs for a strong school is strong school leadership, then that leg must be strengthened, right? So the first I would say is uh, working on the belief system that school leadership is not important. And to do that, we really need 
um, not just research, so much of research is available today, right, to share consistently, but also exemplars, right? We need to sort of start looking at case studies that show how powerful leadership can be, what do leaders do, how do they work within an ecosystem, so that other leaders can begin to see, right, why it's important. And the broader ecosystem can recognize the importance of school leadership. So I think the first is sort of, they can't do without working at the advocacy belief level. That's, that's one, right? The second, I think, is the ecosystem of support that school leaders need. In our public school system, schools are still recipients of orders, right? The order comes somewhere else. So you might have an order, a government order coming out at the state level, the district level, or the block level, and schools are recipients of it, right? In the CBSE system, a lot of the orders come from the board, right? In the KV, it comes from the KV, uh, you know, Sangam. So there should be an ecosystem that is supporting school autonomy, right? That says it is important for schools to recognize what they need in order to be able to better serve their communities and the system responds to that need, right? So if that happens, then the ecosystem will start providing more contextual and very relevant training programs for school principals. We have very few of those, right? We really need that. Second, very contextual and very relevant collaborative opportunities between schools, right? Again, those are very poor. We don't really have communities of practice, right? Where school leaders can come together and share resources and ideas. We don't, we don't have that. So again, we need to sort of build that. Third, we need an ecosystem in which, an ecosystem of support in which principals and teachers are able to experiment and learn. Um, you know, when, when schools have very narrow opportunities to explore and experiment, right? And they are told, teach to the curriculum, teach with this pedagogy, do only these kinds of assessments, right? You, you, you constrain the ability of a school to act. And the more you constrain the ability of a school to act, the less the school is able to respond to the needs of its communities, right? So an ecosystem that uh, supports experimentation, right? You can't have any of this unless you have Samad Sarkar and Bazaar working together. There's no way, right? You need uh, sort of the market to come out with innovative tools, experiments, you know, projects that schools can undertake. You need uh, Sarkar in some sense to come out with innovative training programs, support systems that enable the school leaders to, you know, work, right, and sort of get gain those competencies and so on and so forth. You in some sense need the communities around to help schools collaborate with each other, right? Learn from each other, share resources and so on and so forth. Um, if you're looking at principal accreditation programs, for instance, right? Unless you have a plethora of accreditation programs, again, it will become mandated, right? And nobody is interested in mandated programs anymore, right? I mean, they just opt out of it. So um, it is impossible for this kind of support system to be built unless you have multiple actors doing their own bit, right? Whether it's advocacy and belief, whether it's an ecosystem of resources, or whether it's enabling um, schools to start collaborating and learning and working with each other. So 
um, it's it's a given. Without that, this ecosystem will not really support uh, leadership development. This is again now very clear. The next steps about what needs to be done and where. Uh, thank you for sharing that with our listeners, Sujata. Uh, as an ecosystem, the first and foremost is to ensure the belief that school leadership is important and continuously build an education of continuously build an ecosystem of support that is contextualized, relevant, and meets the individual needs of the leaders and allows them to apply their learnings and experiment with the solutions. At an individual level, I would also like to identify, create, and highlight these narratives to build the momentum for education leadership in the country. Uh, Sujata, with this, uh, my last question, what would your call of action uh, be to our listeners, the NGOs, and to all our leaders as well, who are finding it difficult to build leadership capacities at individual level? So I think there are two, three things that it's possible for every school and every school leader to, to start off with, right? We don't have to think about how can I cross the ocean, right? You just have to say, how can I take one step, right, into uh, uh, sort of doing something different? I think the first thing is to recognize that um, school principals and school leaders, the journey can be lonely, right? And you might feel very alone and quite lost and anxious about it. The first thing is to create a cadre of support system for yourself within the school, right? So as a school leader, it's okay to ask for help, right? To call out to your teachers, even parents, right? And even students to say, um, you know, let's look at what are things that are not working very well for us in our school. And I need your support to be able to do it and ask for volunteers, right? So instead of thinking about, I have to do this, uh, one important step is to say, we can do this, right? And who's the we? By asking for help. So you create what, in, in general parlance, you would say a small champion team, right? A championing team or a small project team. So now you don't feel so alone anymore. The second thing that all schools can do is to say we have a number of different issues and challenges, right? And I can't address everything at the same time. What is one pain point that we can work on? And to just stick with that one pain point, right? And allow yourself the opportunity to experiment with possible solutions for that one pain point. So that one pain point could be something very simple like, for example, teachers feeling very tired, right? Or very fatigued because of the pandemic and the way they are teaching. It's, we will only work on teacher tiredness for the next three months, right? We don't worry about anything else. But we bring teachers together and we say, what can we do to make your lives a little bit more balanced, right? What can we do to make it a little less tiring for you? And a lot of the answers and solutions come from teachers themselves, right? I mean, they know their lives. They offer fantastic suggestions. So the second is not to, not to start worrying about system change in the beginning, but start to worry about micro change, right? And from that micro change, learning what is working for your school and what is not working for your school. It also makes it possible to achieve things in a shorter period of time, right? Because otherwise school transformation programs can take years, right? To, 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 to start and take on. And people get dejected or they get frustrated that it's taking such a long time. A different option is to say, I want to start with a small pain point, but I will do it as a project for the next two months. 
or next three months, and you can actually see visible changes in a shorter period of time, which again motivates others to you know, participate in this journey uh, with you. So there is consistent research love that tells us that the most powerful form of school leadership is distributed school leadership. Distributed school leadership means that the expansion of leadership needs to happen in school. It is not a lone ranger superhero activity, right? Schools must develop others as leaders within the school. And that's really the first step, right? Is to ask for others to see who can join school principals in this journey and to start with small micro projects of learning. Once this happens, schools can take on more challenging projects, right? They can take student assessment-led changes, pedagogic changes, right? Curricular changes, infrastructure changes, so on and so forth. But to start with really small micro changes, right? And do it through a call of action where you feel supported and not alone. A lone uh, principal finds it very difficult to make these changes. So I would say that that's a very promising area of work within school leadership is collaborative distributed leadership. You collaborate with others to distribute leadership so that things happen. One person doesn't carry the load, but it's happening in frequent intervals. It's not, you know, six years down the track. It's sort of three months down the track. Once again, uh, just like to reiterate what Sujata just shared three things that school leaders can do to build their capacities. Ask help from their teachers, parents, students. It's lonely to do everything by themselves. They must address uh, one issue at a time. Think about micro change. And for sustainability, they must build distributed leadership in their schools. That's all for now, Sujata. Glad to have had this opportunity to speak with you and learn so much about education leadership the role they play in the student learning, the challenges that they face, and what can be done across levels by different players to enable the leadership, and what messages I need to put out in the ecosystem. Thank you for your time. Thank you, love. I, I think there's tremendous potential for um, the development and capacity building and supporting of uh, school leadership in India, uh, educational leadership as well. I mean, there are, uh, you know, uh, people who influence what happens in schools who are outside of schools, right? They're not just inside schools, but at the block level, at the district level, at the, you know, cluster and state levels, at boards. So I think there's, uh, there is a, there's a huge um, sort of, you know, blank canvas, blue space available for uh, leadership development to happen in India. And I'm very hopeful and confident that this is a journey that we've started on and it would, uh, really sort of, you know, accelerate over the next few years. So thank you for having me. With this, we close today's episode. Thank you to our listeners for spending time with us today. If you have any questions for Dr. Sujata, please feel free to send them at social at shikshalokam.org. See you until next time.